Well, this morning, we are uh, going to conclude this uh, Jesus Saturation series we've been in for the last eight weeks. And uh, <clears throat> I want to spend a little bit of time uh, reminding us of why we're, we, we entered into this, this series. Really, this has been about um, uh, remembering uh, who we are, remembering what the church is called to be, um, to, to answer the question, why we do house churches, um, to move us towards becoming what we say we are out on that sign, a family of house churches. And so um, this, this series has been about uh, reminding us about, uh, for those of you who are, are, are new to New Community, about sort of showing you what we want to be about. Um, but it's also been about equipping um, our house church leaders or people who are be- potentially becoming house church leaders. Um, and so I want to take a moment, <clears throat> and uh, if you are a, a house church leader, a potential house church leader who's been going through the Saturate Huddle um, or the Saturate Field Guide, um, if you're here, would you please stand where you're at? These are uh, people who, uh, in addition to the Sunday morning gatherings, they are uh, diving into uh, this, this Saturate Field Guide, um, and then uh, this is like a daily thing that they, uh, they make time for, and it's not, uh, it's not just a check-in-the-box sort of study. It's, it's pretty intense, um, and uh, in addition to that, they meet on a weekly basis with a, a group of other house church leaders with, with an elder, and I just want to take a moment and say thank you. Um, uh, leadership is vital for us as a church. Um, we need you uh, to, to, to lead. We need you to, uh, to take responsibility. And I want to say thank you for the sacrifices that you've made in order to, to undergo this study and this training. And, uh, and uh, speaking on behalf of the elders, we are grateful for you. Uh, we're in prayer for you. And, uh, uh, and we love you. Thank you. So I guess I have a seat. Um, this whole Jesus saturation thing is, is really about our desire to see every person in every place having a daily encounter with Jesus through his people. So everyone, everywhere, encountering Jesus through us. That's the hope. Uh, and that's what we're, we're aiming for. So we, we began this series uh, eight weeks ago and asking the question, what is the church? And the church simply is the people of God saved by the work of Jesus for his purposes in the world. And his purposes in the world really can can be boiled down to this thing we call the Great Commission, where Jesus, he sends us out. He says, go and make disciples, right? Baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey Jesus. We are disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. This is the the purpose that, that God has given us in the world. And we can achieve this purpose only because we've been saved by the work of Jesus, We can only do this because we have been saved by what Jesus has done for us. His perfect life, the one we couldn't live, lived on our behalf. His atoning death, paying the debt we could not pay. And his triumphal resurrection, becoming the firstborn of the dead. His life, his death, his resurrection brings about our salvation. And out of this salvation, we become what he's called us to become. And so we we spent some time looking at these identities that we have these gospel-formed, gospel-shaped identities. And the first is that of family. We're a family. Because of what Jesus has done, you've been adopted by your heavenly father. You are an adopted son, an adopted daughter of, of the most high God. You are family. And if you're a son and I'm a son, then that makes us brothers. And if you're a sister, that makes you my sister. Like, we are a family. It's a beautiful new identity that we had. See, once, according to Scripture, we were children of wrath. We were were orphans, but now we're children of God. 
family. Secondly, we're, we're servants. You see, at one time, we believed that we were little kings over our little impoverished kingdoms, trying to, to, to reign and to rule over our little tiny lives that were really ultimately meaningless. And God comes along through Jesus Christ, and he shows us what service is. And Jesus says, I came to serve. I came to lay down my life. And we, too, are called to be servants. We embrace that identity. And thirdly, we're missionaries. We who were once enemies of God are now missionaries of God. Jesus said, I, I was sent to you, and so I'm sending you to proclaim who Jesus is and what he's done and how that's changed us. And so we, we, we looked at these three identities, and then last week we talked about how do we live out these identities. That's what we're going to talk about again today. How do we live out these identities? I think there's a lot of us who would look and say, we, we, we get it. Like, uh, I'm a Christian, I have this identity as family and, and, and servant and missionary, but I don't have enough time to actually live this out. I don't have enough time to do this and to, to be this. And, and it's like we think that God has sort of shown up on our doorstep and he's given us this big, big piece of furniture, this massive piece of furniture that comes in and invades our lives and there's no more room for anything else and we already have a cluttered living space. We, we, life is already full. And the truth is, is, is that's not the case. In fact, what God has done is he, is he has built in things into our lives that enable us to live out these, these identities in, in very uh, simplistic, natural, effective, even efficient ways. So we looked at four of those rhythms last week. They're eating, celebrating, resting, and, and creation, or work. Right? You're going to eat anyway. So Gather people around the table with you and, and show them what family looks like. Serve them. Point to the gospel through a meal. You're gonna eat anyway, so, so embrace this as a rhythm of life. It, it is already built in. You know what? You're gonna celebrate, or at least you should. You're gonna throw a party, whether it's a birthday party for your kid or, 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 or it's, a, it's an anniversary party, but throw a party, celebrate, and point to Jesus through the celebration. You see, we as Christians, we should be the most celebratory people on the planet because we have the most to be grateful for. We have the most to be thankful for. We should be partying all the time. And through the party, we can show who Jesus is and what he's like. But resting, resting, we should be the most rested people on the planet. Because we can rest in what's been done for us. You don't have to save yourself. You don't have to prove yourself. You, you don't have to earn God's love and affection. You already have it. You can rest in what's been done for you. We should be the most rested people on the planet. Shouldn't we? And as far as our work goes, you know what? We work for a different reason. Yeah, you, you still need to get on the J-O-B. You still need to bring home that paycheck. But, but your purpose behind doing it is completely different. Because you have a better boss in Jesus and you have better wages. The wages of sin was death, but what we have is life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have a better retirement plan because of Jesus. Like we have, we have a different reason for working than the rest of the world does. And so our work should be fruitful and beautiful because of that. But these are natural built-in rhythms to our life that they're not anything extra. And we, we needed to talk about that obstacle of time. That, that we need to, to address this obstacle of time and, and see that there are ways to live out our gospel identities that, that aren't an addition to our time, but focus our time. Um, I want to give you a resource. 
that's been helpful for me. Um, if you find yourself hurried, if you find yourself um, running out of, of, of space and capacity in, in your life, if you find yourself uh, just constantly at your wit's end because life is so busy and so hectic, uh, this has been a helpful book for me. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, and, uh, and I would recommend that to you. Um, uh, th- because of this book, I actually gave up my smartphone. It's beautiful. beautiful. Anyway, uh, I want to go back to the, the rhythms we're going to talk about this week. We're going to talk about listen, story, and bless. And uh, to give you a a little bit better definition of of each one of those, listen means paying careful attention to God and to others. A rhythm of life means that to listen is to listen to God, to pay careful attention to God and to others. Story, that we understand and experience and intersect God's story with other people's stories. And thirdly, bless meaning display God's grace intentionally through words, gifts, and actions. Now, here's the, the plan this morning. I'm gonna, I wanna tackle two different things. First, like we did last week, we tackled the, this obstacle that prevents us from living out our identities. We're gonna tackle another obstacle this morning, and that obstacle is our, our inability to, to connect relationally. Our inability to connect relationally. So we're going to talk about that obstacle at the beginning, then we're going to talk about uh, these, these three uh, rhythms, and then we're going to come back and answer the question, how do we overcome this obstacle related to our, our uh, ability or inability to connect with others relationally? I'm going to pause and pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, Heavenly Father, help me to slow down. Help me to take a breath. Help me to, uh, to be uh, conscious of your spirit. Um, Father, I pray that that you would speak to us this morning, that you would remind us of your goodness and grace. Would you remind us of your capacity for us? Uh, I pray that that by the power of your spirit, we we examine our lives and create room there, not only for you, uh, but for the people that you bring into our lives. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, I want to sort of begin uh, with a little bit of levity, if you're up for it. Um, I I do a lot of research, uh, useless research, really, on T-shirts, and um, I I like funny T-shirts. And uh, and the question to begin with is this morning is, um, in in Jesus' earthly ministry, do you think he was an extrovert or an introvert? Extrovert or introvert? Uh, you look at, at, the, at the Gospels and you see Jesus on, on one occasion or, or several occasions, like he's literally like with thousands of people. Thousands of people and he's preaching and he's eating with them. He's spending the whole day with them. Extrovert? Usually after these events though, he's off by himself, right? And he goes and he's alone with his heavenly father. So maybe introvert, right? Um, what, do you, what do you think Jesus, what kind of t-shirt do you think Jesus would wear? Would he wear this t-shirt? This is an extrovert shirt, right? Free hugs, emotional support ally. You think that's Jesus? How about this one? Uh, I'm an extrovert, and I'd love to tell you all about it. Any of you have that t-shirt? I do not. I'll let you know which t-shirt I have. (laughs) How about this one? Extroverts unite. We're here, we're very comfortable, and we're never going home. Uh, 30 minutes after this gathering ends today, you will see who the extroverts are. Somebody's going over there and flipping off lights. Here's another one. 
uh, extroverted but not willing to discuss taxes. Probably not Jesus. I think he discussed uh, taxes. Now, what I found is that for every one extroverted shirt, there's three or four introverted shirts. So let's look at, at some of those. Uh, people, not a big fan. I don't hate people. I just feel better when they're not around. Uh, this one, it's way too peopley outside. Or, whew, that was close, almost had to socialize. That's, that's the people who are coming in here like late on Sunday morning and like with the last chord of the last song, poof, they are out. Avoid socializing. Here's a, a couple other good ones. I'm not good at peopling. Uh, here's my, my favorite. Ain't no party like an introvert party because an introvert party don't start. <laughs> um, introverts unite. We're here, we're uncomfortable, and we want to go home. This next one is worn by the people who are watching the live stream right now. <laughs> Introverts unite separately in your own homes. Uh, next couple, I'd love to stay and chat, but I'm lying. <laughs> A fun thing to do in the morning is not talk to me. Here's the last two. I'm a social vegan. I avoid meat. <laughs> and then the definition of, of introvert, a social distancing professional. Now it's, it, 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 you know, hopefully we, have, we start with a little bit of, of, of levity, but when we think about this, when it comes to um, relational capacity, it's important that Christians have a capacity for relationship. We have to have a capacity for relationship. And the reality is um, we have been sent to make disciples, and you can't make disciples without forming relationships. It is important that, that we as Christians learn to embrace other people. We have to be able to relationally connect to other people. Uh, Larry Osborne wrote a book called Sticky Church, and it's a, it's a book about small group ministry, but there's some pretty helpful things in there that, that help uh, in my understanding. He begins the book by writing this. If the back door of a church is left wide open, it doesn't matter how many people are coaxed to come in the front door or the sideboard door for that matter. We've discovered lots of ways to reach people. We've offered the high-powered programs and slick marketing of attractional churches, the cultural savvy of missional churches and the relational intimacy of small churches, but we've often become so focused on reaching people that we've forgotten the importance of keeping people. See, the reality is, is if this is, if you, what you encounter on a Sunday morning, if you, you hear a good message and there's, there's good worship and, you know, the, the, the pews are nice and comfortable, then, then that'll keep you coming back a couple of times. But the reality is, is if you never connect to another person here, you won't stay. Relational connection is a, is a huge part of what it means to be the church. We have to be available relationally to connect with other people. We have to have our eyes open to see those who, who are new. We also have to be able to connect with people outside of this church building. He goes on, he says, uh, I think of people as being like Legos. We all have a limited number of connectors. Introverts have a few, some extroverts have dozens. But either way, once they're full, they're full. And when that happens, we tend to be friendly, but to not connect. 
It's what happens when you move to a new town and are excited by everyone's friendliness only to be discouraged three months later that you haven't connected with anyone. Some of you have recently started to, to, to participate in new community churches gatherings. You've, you've started coming here on Sunday mornings and, 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 and my hope is that you've found relational connections but the reality is, is I know that many of you haven't. Uh, we know that approximately one out of every four people that um, fills out a, a, a connection to, to get a, be a part of a house church actually ends up in a house church. One out of every four. Now, there's, there's lots of reasons for that. There is lots of reasons for that. But it should never be because this church body wasn't available to connect to you relationally. That should never be the case. Unfortunately, sometimes it is. So for those of you who are new, you understand what it's like to be on the outside and want in. You understand what it's like to want to have that relational connection with other people, and yet you might experience people being friendly to you, but they're not available to you. Uh, He goes on to say this, this can be very confusing and frustrating to people who are new to a community or church. The acts of friendship send one message, but the lack of connection sends another. It's why so many people complain about churches being cliquish. The reality is, it's not so much a church full of cliques as it is a church full of people whose connectors are really full. How many of you are on the other side of that coin and, and you, you would say, like, I see the people that need to connect. I see those people who want to have relationships and I want to meet that need, but I just can't. I just can't. Like, my connectors are full. I know there's a need, but I I just can't. And so the question that we're going to come back to uh, at the end of our time this morning is, how do we overcome this, uh, this obstacle to living out our identities as family, servant, and missionary? This obstacle of, of not being or not having the relational uh, capacity to connect with people. How do we overcome that? So uh, well, let's look at uh, rhythms. Listen. It means paying careful attention to God and others. Would you turn with me to John chapter 10? Uh, in John 10, Jesus is going to give us a metaphor uh, for a relational connection that exists between him and the church. And the metaphor is that of a, shep- a shepherd and sheep. All right? <clears throat> and so um, he's going to talk about the voice that we need to listen to. And so, so pay careful attention to listening in this passage. Now, I want to be honest with you. I love this passage of Scripture, and it's, and it's deep. And we could talk about this for hours, but we're going to take like a 3,000-mile foot view of this thing and only pull out a couple of things, okay? Really beautiful passage, but we're only going to look at a couple of things. So John 10, beginning in verse 1, we'll read to verse 11. Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus began again said to them truly truly i say to you i am the door of the sheep 
All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. To begin to speak about listening as a rhythm of life. The first point that I I want us to see about this, well, actually, let me go back. You'll hear in here words that we would also uh, hear Paul use in Acts 20 when he's talking to the Ephesian elders and using the same metaphor. Uh, He writes it, uh, Acts 20, 29 and 30 says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Jesus talks about the thief and the robber. He's talking about uh, those who would come and kill and destroy, those who would lead the sheep astray, those who would lead the the sheep or the flock into destruction. The reality is, is there's lots of voices out there speaking to us, calling our names, calling to us to get it to, to follow them, but to our destruction. And the the thing is, is we are supposed to be sheep who listen to the shepherd. We are supposed to be in tune to to his voice and to hear hear his voice above all other voices. And so my question for you this morning is, to begin with, do you hear the voice of the shepherd? Are you listening to the shepherd? Like we, we have these Bibles and God has gone through great lengths to give us his word because he wants us to know who he is. And it's, it's not just a book, it's alive and it's speaking. This, these are the words of God. These, this is the voice of Jesus speaking to us. So let me ask you, do you listen to him? Do you take regular time out of your day to sit and listen to Jesus? If you don't do that, how will you know the difference between his voice and the other voices that will speak to you out of the world. We need to listen to his voice. Here's the first point I want to make. When it comes to our ability to connect with others, it has to begin with our connection to Jesus. Only by listening to him will we learn his voice and distinguish it from other voices. Do you listen to Jesus? Um, I I want to give you a tool to help you. This is a, a tool that's been helpful to me. It's called The Hour That Changes the World. It's a book by uh, Dick Eastman. And um, uh, at the beginning, I, uh, I, I wondered how it would be possible to actually spend a whole hour listening to God or talking to God. And, uh, and after going through this book, it's shaped my, my prayer life in such a way that it's never enough time. An hour is not enough time. Uh, and there's really practical things in here, uh, not only about listening uh, to, to, to the voice of Jesus through his word, uh, but on meditating on scripture, interceding for others in prayer, uh, lots of practical stuff. If you struggle to have a time with God every day, let me tell you, first of all, your most connect- important relationship, your most important relationship is with Jesus. More important than the relationship with your spouse, it's your relationship with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus every day listening to his voice, and here's a practical way to begin. Listen, go to the, the next point there. Uh, listening to Jesus leads us to listening to others. I want you to look at verse nine again with me. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in 
and out and find pasture. So he changes the metaphor from being a shepherd to being the door, being the gate. And there's a couple of things that that are really important theologically about this passage. First, Jesus is the only way to salvation. The sheepfold is, is a picture of that saving reality. We must go through Jesus to find it. He's the one who's lived the life we couldn't live. He's the one who paid the debt through his, his death. He's the one that rose again. We must go through Jesus. But the sheepfold here is, is also symbolic of something else. It's symbolic of our relationships to one another. And it's symbolic of safety and security. I want you to notice this. We enter into the sheep pen, and it's safe, and it's secure in the sheep pen. But life is not lived in the sheep pen. You come here on a Sunday morning, we gather together, and this is really important. This is a part of a rhythm that we should have as the people of God. We need to gather together, and we need to sing, and we need to hear his word, and and we need to spend this time together. But your life is not lived here. Your life is lived out there. And if you hear the voice of the shepherd, then you follow him out there. You listen to him as he takes you to people that he wants you to also listen to. Life is lived outside of the sheep pen. Turn over with me to John 4. We're going to start talking about the second uh, rhythm this morning of uh, the rhythm of um, story. First of all, we listen to Jesus so we know his voice. Secondly, we follow Jesus to go to people and, and we listen to their stories. And Jesus actually models this in John 4. Just to set this up a little bit, Jesus is traveling with his disciples uh, from Judea to Galilee. And um, in between those two areas is a region of Palestine known as Samaria. And uh, it's occupied by a group of people that the Jews looked down upon. The Samaritans were, uh, in the Jewish mind, half-breeds. They were part Israel, uh, descendants of Israel, uh, part descendants of other uh, nations that had occupied them. And so the, the religion was also uh, fraught with pagan ideas and things of that nature. Um, a, a good Jewish person would go around Samaria if they were traveling from one part of Palestine to the other. They would not go through it. They would go miles and miles outside of their way to avoid running into a Samaritan person. Not Jesus. Jesus goes directly through. And he reaches this little village and he waits outside of this village at a well. And he sends his disciples to go get food. And about noontime, the hottest part of the day, here comes this woman to get water. And there she, she encounters this Jewish rabbi. And he asks her for some water. And she's taken back by this. She questions this because one, he's Jewish. And two, he's a rabbi. And, and these individuals would have nothing to do with her. He, Jesus, he wouldn't even look at this woman. But that's not who Jesus was. He encounters her and and he engages her and asks her for water. Uh, Look at verse uh, 10. We'll start there. John 4, verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Look at verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus is beginning to intersect his story with her story. 
There is this encounter at this well where he runs into this woman and this is where their stories are going to begin to collide, right? He is the son of God. He already knows her. He knows her. He knows her inside and out. He made her. He knows this woman. And he knows why she's there during the hottest part of the day. She's there to avoid people, not because she's an introvert, but because because she's full of shame. He's going to, to meet her where she is and, and he's going to, to, to engage her story with, with his story. Uh, look at verse uh, 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And so we begin to see her, her story coming out. Now, um, Jesus, as I said, knows her, right? For you and I to be in this situation, we would have to hear. We'd have to listen well. Uh, Doug Pollock talked about, uh, in his book, God Space, about how we need to prayerfully uh, ask the Holy Spirit to help us engage people where they're at and to ask the question, Holy Spirit, where are you already at work in this person's life? And by listening to this, their story, that's how we find out. Christians, we need to be good listeners. We need to engage people where they are, and we need to listen to their story. We need to listen to understand. And so oftentimes, we don't listen to understand. We, we listen to re- rebut, or, or we listen in order to, to, to gain the upper hand. We, we're listening so that we can get some information that we could throw back in their face. Like, we don't listen to understand them, we listen in, in, in order to, to control the situation or something like that. But we don't understand people because we don't want to listen to them. And our culture is great at this. And unfortunately, we as Christians are too. We need to listen to understand and to find out what their story is. And here's a story of a woman who has, who has deep relational brokenness in her life. Sins are no doubtedly committed against her and sins no doubtedly she is committed against others. But she is relationally broken and she is full of shame and she is avoiding connecting with other people and here she is, Jesus is making a connection with her. And he understands her story and he's gonna intersect her story with his story. So after sort of being called out here, she wants to change the subject. And uh, she sort of asks a political or religious political question about where people should worship whether that's in Jerusalem or it's up on the mountain. And then Jesus continues her conversation in order to bring her back to, to, to her story or connect to his story. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from Jews. <clears throat> but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He's bringing the story back around to the gospel. The hour is at hand. It's coming. When you get to connect with God, and you don't have to go to a temple to connect with God, and you don't have to go up on a mountaintop to connect with God, you can connect to God through the spirit of him living inside of you that I'm going to give. Jesus intersecting her story with the gospel story that the hour is coming when you get to have a relationship with God again. And you don't have to go any place special to find it. 
but it's a relationship that's truthful and he knows you and he knows your shame and he loves you anyway. He's connecting her story with the gospel story. Uh, She begins to talk about a Messiah and what does he say uh, in verse 26? I who speak to you am he. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Now, what's interesting is at this point, the disciples sort of come back and they interrupt the whole thing. um, And she takes off. Look at uh, verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Verse 39 Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. I love what it says there. He told me everything I ever did. And he didn't run away. He told me everything that I ever did, and he didn't judge me and condemn me. He told me everything that I ever did, and it still seems that he wants a relationship with me. Imagine if we could listen to the stories of other people, and they could unfold the life, and even the the, the hard, harsh, ugly parts of their life, and we wouldn't run away from them. Imagine the world being able to tell us everything they ever did, and still... We want to connect them to Jesus. So we listen to Jesus' story. We listen to Jesus. We find out what the gospel is like, and we we connect that gospel to to other people. As they're sharing their stories with us, we look for ways to share the gospel with them. Here's the first point when it comes to this. By understanding people's stories, you will better know how to intersect their story with Jesus' story. I believe that the better listener you are, the better you could proclaim the gospel to someone. The better listener you are, the better you can proclaim the gospel to them because you'll know where the gospel needs to intersect, intersect their greatest need. Secondly, by articulating how Jesus' story has intersected your own, people hear the gospel through you. Do you know how to share your story? If you would say, I'm a Christian and I have been changed by what Jesus has done for me, do you know how to share that story in a way that doesn't make you the star? So oftentimes when people are giving their testimony, it's like, so I discovered this verse or I heard this sermon or um, I watched this video or I believed and I had faith and I, 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 I. And you gotta wonder, like, where was Jesus in your salvation story at all? Because the reality is, and at one time, you were an orphan. At one time, you were a child of wrath and the God of the universe sent his son to die in your place so that you could be called a son or a daughter of the most high God. At one time, you thought that you were God. At one time, you thought you were in charge and you ruled over your little useless kingdom and God came in and he showed you how useless it was and how much you needed him and you became a servant of the most high God because you follow this example of Jesus who laid down his life for you. At one time, you were the enemy of God and yet he sent his son to make you part of that family and to make you a missionary of God. See, when you tell your story, it's not your story anymore, it's his story. And it's his story that people can hear and be changed by. 
Do you think people are gonna be changed by I, I heard, I believed, I accepted, I, I? No, it's Jesus who changes people's story. Your story should point to his. Articulating Jesus' story, how his story intersects with your own, people get to hear the gospel through you. And they get to hear an example of how the gospel actually works. Lastly, I want to talk about bless before we turn to a, a big question of the day. Bless. Turn over with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. First uh, Peter is a book that addresses uh, hardship for a Christian, persecution, suffering. Now, um, Peter's going to talk about um, blessing people who curse us, okay, or revile us. We go all the way back to Genesis 12, and we see that God makes this promise to a man named Abram, and he says, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. I'm going to bless you and make a blessing, and I'm going to safeguard you in this way. I'm going to, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you, okay? But, I'm going to, but you're going to be a blessing. So, the, eventually what happens is the seed of Abraham, Jesus, comes along, right? And Jesus saves us. We are recipients of the blessing. In Jesus, the promise made to Abraham is fulfilled, right? But as we've been blessed in Jesus, we're also called to bless. But I want you to notice what Peter says here. He doesn't say that God's gonna bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. He says, no, I want you to bless those who curse you. Why? Let's find out. First Peter 3, beginning in verse nine. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. We were called to bless, it says. Verse 13, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, or be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And then verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins. For Christ also suffered. You were once an enemy of God, and because Christ suffered for you, you've been adopted and made family. You see, at one time, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. We've been blessed while we cursed him. While we were still revilers of God, he blessed us in Jesus Christ. And so, simply speaking, to bless people is, is not just to bless people who bless you, but to bless people who curse you because that's what God did for us. We need to have an answer for the hope that we have. When somebody asks you, how is it that you can bless somebody that doesn't like you as a Christian? How can you bless somebody who, 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 who has all sorts of accusations about what they think you are as a Christian and they hate your existence? How can you bless somebody like that? And the answer has to be and can only be a gospel answer because Jesus did it for me. This is the only answer. That's, that's the answer for the hope that I have. Jesus did it for me. Jesus suffered for me. So we bless. 
Blessed means tangible expressions proclaiming the blessings we have been given in Christ. When we speak, when we give gifts, when we uh, take action on behalf of people who not only bless us, but people who revile us, we are practically demonstrating the gospel. We are, we are putting the gospel into a tangible form that shows people the grace of God. I want to go back to that question. How do we overcome relational limitations? If, if we are a people that it's, it's crucial for us, it's crucial for us to, um, to relate to other people in order to make disciples. Like if, if we've determined like, that, that for us as Christians, it's not just about reaching people, it's about keeping people, right? It's not about making people converts, it's about making disciples, and that takes relationship. So if this is what we're gonna be about, then how do we overcome the, the lack of, of, of capacity within us to relate to other people? Whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. And so here, there's two things that I wanna press in on this morning, and I wanna ask you two questions, and they're gonna be hard. Here's the first one. To the extrovert, should you be saying no to some relational connections in order to connect with others? Should you be saying no to some relational connections so that you can connect with others? A couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we're missionaries. We talked about eternity. If we live in light of eternity, we recognize that we have this eternal existence, right? So, so you're never gonna run out of time to rest. You're never gonna time out to recreate. You're never gonna run out of time to create. You're never gonna have time to spend with other Christians. Like you're never gonna run out of time to deeply connect relationally to other Christians. Do you understand that? That's wonderful. The problem is, is what about now? Look, please don't misunderstand me. You need relational connections with other Christians. You have to have them. You need Christians in your life who can proclaim the gospel to you to remind you of what Jesus has done for you. You need relational connections with other Christians. So yes, the house church. Yes, a discipleship group. Yes, a Sunday morning gathering. You need those relational connections. But some of you are involved in two and three and four and five, who knows how many different Bible studies throughout the week. And I have to ask you, is any of your time spent with people who don't know yet know Jesus? Any of that time? Are all of your relational connectors full of Christians? And if that's the case, how do you expect anybody to hear the gospel from you? Or all of your relational connectors, are they, are they with people that, that you've known for a very long time? Is there any room in your life for the new, new person? For the person who comes here on a Sunday morning who wants to connect with another Christian and they don't have anything because they just moved here? The person who's gonna show up on your, your house church steps, right, that night, and you're gonna see them, and you're gonna see their number of kids, and you're like, okay, we'll be very kind and friendly, but that's, I haven't gotten time to connect. Like, do, do you think that there are relationships you're gonna have to say no to so that you can connect to people who really need it? The reality is, is your life isn't meant to be left inside the sheepfold. Secondly, this question is to the introvert. Do you believe the Holy Spirit can increase your capacity to connect with others? I think a lot of us believe <clears throat> that I am what I am. I've reached the end of my limitations. 
And this is it. Can we actually believe that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can, can make this Lego have another connector on it? Can we believe that? Can we ask for that? I think in all of this, one of the things that we're going to need to remember is grace. We need grace for one another. Um, you may not know this about me, but I'm actually an introvert. Uh, I, I know that a person who can stand up front and talk to, to a large room of, uh, group of people le- looks like an extrovert, but uh, I'm an introvert. And, uh, and that doesn't mean that I don't love people. I actually love people very much. Um, but I have limited capacity. And uh, three and a half years ago when Melissa and I moved here, um, well, we, we came into a situation where this church didn't have a, a teaching pastor um, that was you know, sort of residential, so to speak, um, and, and I filled a, a void that was there, and I had, I, there was lots of people that wanted to connect with Melissa and I, and it was beautiful. So much warmth, so much outpouring of love from, from this church toward us, and it was, it was so beautiful. And, and the truth is, is I wanted to reciprocate Every time we was invited to coffee, every time I was invited to lunch, every time we were invited to dinner, like, I wanted to reciprocate. Like, I'm sitting in somebody's home, and I'm having dinner with them, and like, okay, I want to I wanna put it on the couch. I want them to come into my home, and I want them to have, and the reality is, is three and a half years later, there are people who have invited me into their home, and I've never invited you into my home. Because as much as I want to connect with you, I have run out of space. And I've seen the disappointment I know that there are people that wanted to connect with me and I ran out of, of, of space and I ran out of my ability to connect with them and I know I've disappointed some of you and I know I've hurt some of you and I'm so sorry and I don't want to do that and I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your forgiveness. But I'm not going to stand up here this morning and say, I'm at the end of my capacity, deal with it. I'm going to stand up here and say, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to give me more capacity and I know that he can. I know that he can, but we're going to need grace for one another. And so for those of you who who are just starting with us at New Community, you're going to need to have grace for for some of the people in these rooms. And you're going to encounter house churches, and and maybe you'll encounter a house church, and it doesn't feel like you're able to connect, but, but maybe there's something going on in those leaders' story. Maybe they're having a difficult time with their kids or with their marriage. Maybe they're tapped out. And there's things that you don't understand. Will you give them grace? and afford them time. But for those of you who who are established in a house church, will you give those new people grace when they come in? Will you welcome them in? And don't just be friendly. Will you try to connect with them? And will we have grace for the people outside of these walls to enter into relationships with them and to hear their stories and not be shocked by what we hear? but show them the same grace that we've experienced in Jesus. See, overcoming these challenges, overcoming these obstacles, it, it requires us to make some pretty hard choices. But, and and I, would, I would say that, that the advice that I would give to the introvert, I would give to the extrovert. The extrovert, you too can pray for the Holy Spirit to give you more, right? And, and, and for some of us, like, take a look at our, some of those relationships. If you're pouring into people who refuse to grow up, spiritually speaking, may, maybe, maybe that's a connector you need to free up. 
Like if you're surrounding yourself with, you got Christians in your life and they won't hear a rebuke. You can't um, talk to them about areas of unbelief in their life. Like they refuse to, to, to grow up or take spiritual responsibility. Maybe there's a way you need to free that up. But you're gonna need the Holy Spirit's help to do that. Bottom line is, we desire to be a church that sees this Jesus saturation, to seize every man, every woman, every child, every person in every place have a, a daily encounter with Jesus through his people, through us. We want to see Green County experience Jesus because he's the only one that can save them. But it will require us to do things we never dreamed of doing, to, to, to take acts of, of, of faith and uh, steps of faith and, and, and to bravely do things we've never considered doing, even reorganizing how we live our lives in order to meet people where they are. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for making up for what we lack. Uh, we pray for you to, uh, to guide us by your spirit we want to be a people of grace and love. Help us, help us to identify the people that, that we need to go to. Give us the capacity to love them. Give us wisdom in knowing which relationships uh, are not fruitful. Help us not to... Uh, help us not to ignore the people that are in the most need. Uh, Lord, I pray that people find New Community Church to be a people who have the capacity to deeply connect. Let that connection begin with you. In Jesus' name.